Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. This is episode 41. And in this episode, Sally and I sit down with Jen Wicks, the Director of Teaching and Learning at the College of the North Atlantic in Newfoundland, and talk about her experiences moving from Qatar to Newfoundland and also about the intersection of her coaching certification and background and experience with her new role at the College of the North Atlantic. You're going to really like this episode. We had a lot of fun talking with Jen, and we're going to have her back on a future episode and uh, so sit back relax enjoy this episode take some notes because there's some really really good stuff in here and we'll catch you on the other side but before you do that if you're new to the podcast would you mind subscribing to it we would love it that you come back time and time again and uh, if you have been listening to the podcast for a while and you found some value in this podcast would you mind giving us a review and or rating on itunes if that is your favorite platform for listening to podcasts on that would help us out a great deal in getting around the algorithm and putting this podcast out there for other people to uh, find and enjoy and maybe even walk away with with a little bit of extra uh, help and knowledge to help them center their praxis and their pedagogy on what really matters. Thanks again. See you on the other side. All right, ready? Here we go. Three, two, one. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Praxis Pedagogy Podcast where we like to highlight people in higher ed who center their praxis and their pedagogy on what really matters. You like that? I put that together over the last couple of weeks. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, I hope so. You're part of the show. So, and uh, there we are. So th- today, today, I almost said this morning. So for those of you who listen to us, we do record in the morning, but uh, today we have a very special guest. Her name is Jen Wicks and she is all the way over in Newfoundland. And uh, what is it there? About 2.30 in the afternoon in Newfoundland? Uh, it's 11.30. <laughs> Still morning. Yeah, okay, good, good, good deal. So welcome, Jen, to the show. Thank you. Yeah, really glad know. to be here. Good, good. And uh, Sally, how you doing? Yeah, doing great. I'm sort of envious that Jen's got sunshine over there. I can see it sort of beaming yeah. in through the window. Yeah. And here we are in BC and it's still very dark here. Sun hasn't but, risen yet. I'm just glad to be here because my power's been out uh, since 11 o'clock last night and it came what? back on at 5.15 this morning. So, Oh, just in time. Just in time. Just in time. Well, they got the memo. That's good. I'm glad they listened <laughs> yes, to it. They knew Jen was on the show <laughs> and I obviously <laughs> couldn't miss this one. Yeah, very good. Very good. And uh, so Chad's on assignment. He won't be with us this morning, but uh, we wish him all the best. And uh, anyway, without further ado, Jen, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, Thanks, Tim. So I'm the Director of Teaching and Learning Innovation at College of the North Atlantic in Newfoundland and Labrador. We have 17 campuses and we're a technical and vocational college. And I just started this amazing job immediately before we got sent home for COVID. Uh, (laughs) Yes, so excellent timing. It's actually very perfect in many ways. Um, And before that, I started my practice as an executive and leadership coach. Mm. Um, Prior to that, I worked in a teaching and learning center in the Middle East at our Qatar campus for eight years. That's right, you were in Qatar. Oh, mercy, that is so good. (laughs) I remember seeing that job advertised and that's so funny. The the director of teaching and learning over in in the campus in Qatar. And I always thought, oh, that looks so interesting. And now we're going to learn more about that. So tell us about Qatar, Jen. What was it like? Oh, Qatar was amazing. Um, You know, when I went there, I had no idea what it was going to be like. Um, But, you know, our campus, it was a beautiful Uh, our very architectural campus, first of all, you know, located in this amazing city that is just growing up so quickly. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was such a great opportunity for me to um, really learn how to work with trades faculty in particular. Mm -hmm. That was new for me at the time. 
So I got to learn a lot from my colleagues in the center, from the faculty themselves. And, uh, you know, living in, in Doha was just an incredible experience. I also became a cyclist basically while I was there. Uh, so that was, that was an interesting thing. And I met my husband there. So uh, a lot of change happened uh, over those eight years. And I really appreciate that experience. That's very cool. So you went cycling in like 180 degree weather. Right. Yeah. We were boiling to death. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's actually quite a large cycling community there. Um, and, you know, we could go out on the weekend, early, early mornings, like mm. you'd get up at, you know, three thirty, four o'clock in the morning sometimes. What? Lot, yeah. Very active race scene, lots of triathletes over there. It's just a great place to um, be into, you know, outdoor athletics. So. I don't even like getting up at three thirty in the morning to go for a drive. <laughs> yeah. Oh mercy, that's yeah. dedication right there. I'm telling you. That's well, we dedication. did nap a lot uh, afterwards. To be fair. <laughs> okay. Well, I like that lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> the napping pause. Uh, yeah, napping. That's a good idea, huh, Sally? <laughs> napping. <laughs> yeah, napping. A good afternoon nap. Yeah, that's what most of us need. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Agreed. Yeah, very good. So Jen, you just started and uh, you come from a coaching background and um, that's an, it's an interesting mix to come to academia with a coaching background. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I guess I was in academia before I became a coach. So the coaching thing only came up for me again while I was in Qatar. So, so many rich opportunities there and how that came about was when I was working in the teaching and learning center, uh, I had some, some issues that I wanted to work through. And there was a coach who uh, was certified from Royal Roads University in your neck of the woods. Yeah. And, uh, and so I got coached and it was a very powerful experience, a life-changing experience for me. And that was when I decided not to become a coach necessarily, but to learn the tools of coaching because it had impacted me so much. So I actually came to Royal Rose University to do my executive coaching certification while I was in Qatar. So I had a great opportunity there to just re, you know, just reimagine my role in the teaching and learning center as a coach rather than the model of mentoring, which we were using previously and which for me wasn't particularly effective, partly I think because of the age dynamic uh, and also just because I think that coaching does provide us with a, a better model for long lasting change. Wow, that's great. I, I'm Sally, intrigued. feel free to jump in at any time. Yeah, yes, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm hovering here ready to jump in. Jump in. One of, my, one of my little habits, Jen. Um, so I'm really intrigued to hear the changes that you made when you sort of reflect back on your practice prior to this coaching experience. It would be great to hear some of those, you know, very specific changes that you made. Yeah, sure. So I guess in, in a, a supporting role for faculty, what I was learning about, because it, I was new to faculty support at that time, and what I was learning about was was basically what I imagined mentoring was. So it would be going into a classroom with an instructor, observing the class, observing the students, and then providing them with some feedback based on the research, based on my own experience as a teacher. Um, and you know how that works. It's like, it's coming from me. So it's not uh, something that is chosen by that faculty. It may, you know, some of my feedback may have been things they'd already tried that didn't work before, uh, or they just might have not been ready to hear that feedback. Whereas coaching starts from the, the client or, you know, in this case, the faculty. So we would have a better, richer conversation when I took a coaching approach um, that started with where they were at. It would start with what they wanted to be different and what they wanted to change. And every conversation, every coaching conversation starts with that. What do you want to be different at the end of this conversation or at the end of this relationship? And starting from that point, um, we know that from neuroscience even and, and the nature of change, that change is much more sustainable 
when we choose as adults what it is that we want to focus our energies on changing. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting that you say about the mentorship role, which is, you know, always presented in such a supportive way. And yet, as soon as you just, you know, spoke through those practices, it's very um, intimidating or it can be intimidating uh, for somebody to have another person that's seen as an expert coming to their classroom and sort of make these judgments within a, you know, a two hour session. And, and I like that you said that also you met with students. And I think over my teaching career, I mean, I've had some students that were, you know, if they were having a bad day, I mean, really, they would throw you right under the bus. And then, <laughs> and yet, you know, those are the lives that you may feel when I reflect back on, you know, my years of teaching. Those students that have had a bit of a roller coaster experience, those are the ones that this, these opportunities, educational opportunities, have really been the most transformative for them. And yet, if somebody was to go to them and say, you know, what do you think of this instructor? What would you like to see change? Well, it could be anything random. So I, I think that um, what you're saying is to really start with that faculty member. I mean, that, that sounds real support. When somebody's taking the time, that inquiry-based approach, yeah. Yeah, and, and a strengths-based approach as well. So we know how vulnerable it is to receive feedback about something that's so personal. Um, and actually, I think a lot of people forget that, especially if you're in a helping role, you feel like it's, you know, as you said in the beginning, Sally, um, you come at it from a, a helping perspective, a caring perspective. So you think, well, it's fine that I'm giving this feedback. But if we haven't received feedback on our own work in a long time, we really forget how vulnerable that can be for the person receiving the feedback. So we mm -hmm. want to look at also, what are you doing really well? Because we don't want them to lose that. And also we want um, to be able to build on, on what, what our strengths are. So it's the trust piece as well, isn't it, Jen, that, you know, when somebody does come to you and says, oh, you know, I, I have time, I can work with you, I'll start out by coming into your classroom, you, it's hard to trust that that person hasn't been sent to focus in on you. So I'm just wondering, in your coaching role, did you invite faculty to come forward rather than go to them? How did, how did you work that out? Yeah, so that's always a tricky uh, balance, isn't it, at, at uh, college? So in our, um, when I made the switch to coaching, I sent out an email, I let people know what coaching was, I invited people to participate, and I actually got responses not only from faculty, but also from leadership at the college. So it was a really, um, you know, a nice way to bring coaching to uh, different levels of the organization, which we know is really important in terms of that coach approach or, um, you know, a growth mindset, bringing, a, a, you know, that growth orientation to any organization. So that was a really nice benefit of that. Mm -hmm. We still did, you know, have people kind of, you know, sent if there were um, known issues, <laughs> if they had received student feedback. But what I was able to do with the coaching approach was to really, again, meet the instructor where they were at. So yes, you've been sent and you've had this feedback, but what do you want to get out of this experience? And, you know, if people are ready for that, if they're ready to learn and grow, then it's, it can still be very effective. If they're very closed to the experience and they do feel sent or that they they've done everything they can and this is just unfair or the students are against them um then obviously that's a bigger challenge mm -hmm. i think you just described 80 percent of the faculty in all of canada <laughs> <laughs> I'm students are always against me i know um i'm interested as well and maybe we'll hold this until a little bit further into the conversation but i'm really interested in how this coaching model has maybe overlapped with the pedagogical approaches of your faculty mm -hmm. but um maybe we'll hold that back for a little while and i'm 
I'm looking over here at Tim thinking, I know he's got some questions there. And yes, yes, excuse me. Did you say that? Um, Jen, back in, back in 2019, uh, you wrote an article, at, which was great. And in it, you indicated that you were starting this series called Authentic Leadership Conversations. And this kind of ties into what you're talking about when you're taking your appreciative inquiry approach uh, when it comes to teaching and learning with faculty and starting off with that, that center of care and, and, and really caring about them as a whole person. I wonder if, could you tell us how that went for you and, and how you wove in the idea of work-life balance or the inner critic? And I, and, and I like the scarcity and the abundance mindsets that you touched on in that. Could you roll some of that into what it meant to have authentic leadership conversations? Sure. Um, I actually started doing this in Qatar um, when I became a coach, I was looking for some mentoring uh, and some business coaching. And I found Tana Hemmonsley, who lives in Vancouver. And she was the creator of the Authentic Leadership uh, Facilitators Group. And she's written books about it. And she's got amazing like um, uh, workbooks that you can, you know, go through these processes yourself to learn about authentic leadership and do the inner work of authentic leadership. And it's since been taken over by Laura Mack. Um, and we've got a, a global, uh, very small, tight knit uh, global group around the authentic leadership uh, conversations and the facilitation of that work. I started the, the series for anyone in the community when I was in Qatar. And some people from the college came, which was really great. They came out to support it. And through that work, we, it's just a different approach to um, leadership development, let's say. And, you know, you mentioned a couple of the topics there, like exploring what does it mean to have an inner critic? What does my inner critic say? What does it do to hold me back? Um, and then, and then what do we do with that? You know, how can we shift to having an inner advocate or even just growing self-awareness around my own self-limiting beliefs and voices? Um, authentic leadership is about our, you know, who we are at, at our core. And the idea is that, you know, we're our best selves at our core. And over our lifetime, we get these layers and layers of like the inner critic and the personality traits and the things that we develop that aren't necessarily helpful to us and that start to make us doubt ourselves or look at ourselves in a, a negative light. So it's getting back to that essence. What are my core values? What really is truly important to me as a person and letting that guide us through how we show up in everything that we do. So the series, I brought it to Newfoundland as well when I moved back here and uh, offered it in the community. And it's always so interesting to see who comes out to these events and, uh, and the kinds of conversations that we have where people are bringing these things from the, their own work lives. And the, you see the pain that people are experiencing mm. at work. Uh, and in their lives and the damage that we're doing to each other by just, you know, trying to work through it and white knuckle our way through everything and, and, and not being courageous to have these shifts in our practices, like how we start meetings or how we schedule a more human approach to everything that we do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. Do you think we could take advantage of this Tim, and start out, you know, start our journey? Maybe while Jen's here, she could do <laughs> Absolutely. some work with us. <laughs> I'm just thinking that after Sally leaves, uh, Jen and I are going to do a little online coaching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> the listeners can listen into my, uh, my, in, in, my inadequacies. Um, you also mentioned something that captures a lot of people's attention. And, and I wanted to ask you this question because I want to keep that momentum going. And the question is, how do you hold people capable? I, I've had conversations with people about how do we hold people accountable? And I've actually had one faculty member really push back hard against that word accountable because it, to him, it really, it really gave him the mindset or the picture of prison and, and rules and punishment. And, and I'm, I'm coming from a completely different spot than he is and, but that's how he viewed that word. So how do you hold people capable? Mm. So this is something I learned through coaching and it, it is so powerful because in coaching, we don't try to rush into the conversation. Mm -hmm. We don't give advice. 
we don't um, solve problems for people. And you talked about accountability. I think that's part of it. Mm -hmm. And having the client or, you know, whoever we're having the conversation with, having the other person define what accountability looks like for them. That's a standard part Mm -hmm. of a coaching conversation is designing actions and, and talking about what would accountability look like for you? You know, what, what, what could stop you from achieving your goal or, or, you know, doing what you want to do. So holding people capable and and looking at the educational uh, benefits of this, what I see a lot of is faculty taking more than their 100% responsibility. They're trying to almost do the work for the students. uh, And and they're doing it again from a a place of the best intentions. Uh, They want to make sure that they're doing a good job. But sometimes how we do that is we take away the um, agency of the students. So, you know, looking at holding them capable, it's just a different mindset. It's letting, uh, one of the things I love about coaching is we say, let silence do the heavy work or let, let silence do the heavy lifting. And I don't think we do that enough with our students. People are very uncomfortable right now. A lot of the comments I'm getting from faculty are like, it's so quiet. Nobody talks. The students won't participate in this (laughs) online environment. And it's like, what if silence was okay? What if you could be comfortable with the uncomfortable silence? Mm -hmm. What if learning is happening in that space? And there's... Obviously, there's silence where it's just dead. Uh, And then there's silence where people are thinking or you give them something to do in that space. um, Because we know that learning doesn't happen just by us talking at people. Yeah, I, I like what you said there because I've often been reminded that there's there's power in the silence and and holding that silence intention is is good. And uh, I remember wrestling with that myself because I'm like, what? <laughs> but it, yeah, what? I can't. No, 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 no. And then this whole pivot thing or pancake, however we want to call it, <laughs> um, it has really changed the way we engage with our our students, right? And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of cues that are missing when, when we're in this new format. And, and, and I too am coming across a lot of statements of, I don't know if my students are engaged. How do I get them engaged? How do I keep them engaged? And, and, and I'm wondering if we're trying to, tr- to transport, import an old way of engagement into a new methodology and, and we're not ready to change the way we think about using the new methodology. And it kind of sounds like that's what you're saying here with this holding people capable is and, and getting into that silence pieces. Don't be afraid of that. Is, is that, is that kind of what you're saying? Um, that's part of it. And, and you mentioned, you know, the space, holding the space as well, you know, creating a container where learning happens and maybe that looks different now, but I think with faculty need to experience that we can't just talk about this in a theoretical way and, and expect people to know how to do it. I've been a coach now since 2015 and you know I'm learning something new every time I'm in the presence of a master coach every time I have a coaching session with a client I'm I'm constantly learning so we have to also invest in our own practice this is not just gonna you know our teaching practice is not just gonna magically improve because we're doing it every day it has to be meaningful and intentional and and this idea of authentic leadership bringing that into the classroom, you know, thinking about what are my core values, what's important to me, and then looking at, are there any tensions between my, how I'm showing up with my students? So let's say, uh, for example, if a core value of mine is independence, and and I'll use that one because that one's big for me. If one of my core values is independence, and then I'm showing up with my students and I'm extremely rigid and I'm taking more than my 100% responsibility and I'm the one who's delivering the content and I'm responsible. Well, where's the independence in that for anyone? 
So is there a conflict there between your core values and how you're teaching? And that could be causing you stress, unhappiness. There could be a lot of things emotionally coming up for you that is making the teaching experience like a bit yucky. Uh, and, and particularly because we're shifting. So people might have done things in the classroom environment in person that they've left behind now in, in the online environment. And they're wondering why is it not working? Maybe it's because you were more authentic. You were more in alignment with your values when you were comfortable in that environment that maybe you haven't taken them with you into the classroom uh, online. I'm writing this down because this is good free coaching right here. <laughs> this is good free coaching. I like this. I'm, I'm so interested with what you're saying, Jen, because I think that um, this whole idea around space, I was um, chatting with a faculty member yesterday, and the reason she had actually sent me a video of her students' work really late the night before, and she goes, you have to see this. So this student is... Um, three weeks into a hairdressing program, a foundation hairdressing program. And just to give you an idea of typically what happens in the face-to-face -face classroom is that they work on a very basic haircut on a mannequin. There'll be 18 students in the classroom. The instructor will demo the haircut, step them all through the layers, talk about finger position, tool position, and, and so on. But now in the online platform, and, and I think we could probably talk a little bit more about, I think there's online learning, there's the Zoom classroom, and then there's face-to-face. -face. And I think this mid-zone that keeps being referred to as online, the Zoom platform is, um, is really, there's a very, very, many varied approaches going on in there. Some faculty have taken exactly their face-to-face -face approach. Others are using online and just, you know, punctuating with Zoom. So just doing an hour Zoom. Anyway, this instructor has, has actually um, using the LMS. So she's got the resources there. She's done her, her video, her demo. She does meet with her students just for a short while in Zoom, just check in, and then they work independently. The work that was uploaded from these students working independently, this held these people, I'm going to borrow your word, it held them capable. So the work that they were doing independently there, checking their own section in, using the resources that were there were available for them and working through it. So instead of it being done sort of a, of a cluster of 18 people in one room, which there's the sense of, I need to get through this, I need to get it done. But you also blur into the sort of the mass of the classroom. Whereas these students working independently, probably in their own bedrooms or in their kitchens, or whatever, taking all the time that they want to, to work their way through. And then one of the, the, so they submit the video or the, the series of photos of this work, this competency that they've performed, but they also are required to do this reflection. And this instructor had done a fabulous job of her questions. So she said, watch this, you know, this, this video, which is just, you know, really shocking for somebody that's three weeks into this program. But then you read the reflection as well. And the very words I used was, this is how, when we, we created a level two hairstylist program, I was just blown away by the uploads that were coming through from the students. And what I realized that, that right there and then was, if you create this space, this allows this to happen. It allows the learning to flow towards you as an instructor instead of the learning sort of being projected out. And I, and I know in your writing, you speak about that. You know, we never learn from people talking at us. We never did. And I think the online platform has, makes a really nice um, environment for us to shift that, that idea of learning, construction of understanding. Mm. Yeah, you really hit, 
something uh you struck a chord with me on that this expectation piece is so important i had a faculty meeting at the beginning of the semester with a group of faculty uh, mostly trades instructors who were um i could tell that there was some nervousness around the technology piece and when I showed up to that meeting, I, I had just started using Jamboard and I thought, I, I'm going to use Jamboard. And I, you know, presented it to them as you don't have to use Jamboard. You're not going to miss out on anything because I'm going to tell you what's happening on the Jamboard the whole time. But this is something really cool that you might be able to use with your students. And here's the link. Well, they all went in and joined the Jamboard. And they were using the Jamboard and we did a little, you know, test sticky note thing hi introduce yourself and it was so good and we got such good feedback and positive engagement throughout the whole meeting it was just a conversation about teaching and learning to start people off the year but I thought you know I was going to hold myself back from that before the meeting I thought oh it might be too much you know we're using teams we're using you know other I don't want to know if I should bring in more technology to this to layer it on it might be stressful for people but I went with it and I'm so glad that I did, you know, and, and, and I think we've got to be willing to fail. We've got to be willing to try and we've got to hold high expectations for people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm loving what you're saying. And I think that courage as well, the courage to try these things and have, um, have the, the community of, you know, we're all, we, we keep saying, oh, we're all in this together. And yeah, I think some faculty feel very, very isolated and, and building those relationships so that you can say, I mean, this colleague of mine that, that sent this, these videos through, um, late the other evening, they could have easily been videos saying, oh my goodness, this is going horribly wrong because we have that relationship of trust and so it, which all comes back ground, doesn't it? Your coaching approach, which really has to be in the culture of the faculty or of the faculties. Mm. This is so good. Writing all this stuff down. <laughs> Expectations. Oh, that's good. So when, when, when you approach people, um, faculty, to, to get them engaged in, in different activities, what do you think is a couple of the strongest barriers holding them back from, from really engaging in what you're coaching them through? I think at the moment, the most timely thing is um, people having a very fixed idea about what their students can and cannot do or what they're ready for or not. Mm -hmm. um, I, uh, Sally, I shared your article uh, about the welding um, transformation and uh, I had a follow-up conversation with a faculty member who said, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's going to work. And, you know, we were just starting at the very first step, which was around mm -hmm. the, having that conversation around mindset. And I thought, you know, it's valid. The student, he described his students as, as being very quiet and, you know, they're not ready to have those conversations. And I thought, you know, for me, that those are the students who most need to have those conversations. Mm -hmm. But there's a, a gap there between the readiness of the instructor to facilitate those conversations. So there yeah. can be a bit of a gap there, I think, for, for getting to that point where we can actually do that transformation work and so that's where my mind is at, is thinking about how do we overcome that? Yeah, and that's what came out of my research that I performed over the last couple of years in BC with trades instructors. And my um, research was really to explore instructors' perceptions around their curriculum choices. So curriculum choices, meaning how they perceive their role as a, as a teacher, as an educator, how they perceive the role of the learner and many other areas as well. And, and what came out of that was that there are four very distinct groupings around the, the perceptions. And there's the, you know, one particular cluster 
of instructors really see themselves as predominantly trades people. I'm here to teach you my trade. You need me here. It's all going to be hands on. You know, there's going to be this little bit of book work going on there. There's another cluster that are very much, you know, this is a learning opportunity. I want you to learn how to learn. I want you to learn how to think. I, you know, thinking critically. And and actually, um, Scott Dixon was was on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he is just like this wonderful example. He speaks very explicitly to um, the fact that you know the technical training. I can teach you to do this. You know, change this piece of equipment within 20 minutes what I want you to know is to think about it to think about what's upstream of it what's downstream of it you know all the variables in there so I've kind of given you away given away what cluster Scott actually ended up in there (laughs) but really you know realizing that they're this they share when I say clusters I mean obviously these faculty members don't all think exactly the same but they share similar values and beliefs around what it means to be a trades instructor. And so as you're saying that the welding article for anybody that hasn't read that is it's a very innovative approach that I'm all credit to David Drury at um, BIU in the welding department, who's um, really embedded the practice of team-based learning into his I believe it's in his foundation programs. I'm not sure whether it's in the apprenticeship programs. Takes a lot of courage to do that. It's had great success. The students love it. But it's a reflection as well, or as you've just said, Jen, of that instructor's perceptions around what their learners are, are, are capable for. Yeah, mindset's huge, right? It's um, when we come from the field, as, 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 uh, practitioners of what we do, we're, we're, we're also, we're almost conditioned to take our theory and practice it and develop something into a mastery model. Right. And, and then we get into education. And I've always said this, that when, when we move from industry into education, it's a career change. Uh, yes, we bring our SME a background and, and that's what we're hired for but it's really a career change because now we have to think about how we deliver. Now we have to think about even how we learn. We have to think about how we interact with other faculty members who are most likely really, really good at their trade and really, really good at what they can do. And we're not used to being under a microscope in that regard. We're used to being the ones looking through the microscope. And now we've switched roles, switched positions. And this, this talk of, like I can, I can imagine sitting in that room of trades faculty and here comes Jen and she's using coaching language that some of us may not have ever heard before. Right. And what do you mean mindset? And what do you mean holding the space? And, and this sounds a little woo woo to me, but it sounds very, very important to get that mindset at least cracked open because, well, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's, it's like if, if we don't address, like you said earlier, the alignment of the value to what we're doing, how can we expect our students to connect value to what they're doing, even in the learning process that they're engaged in? What, what, do, you, what do you think about that, Jen? Oh, there's so many thoughts coming up right now. But <laughs> the one that I want to hit on is the language. You know, I know from owning my own business that as, you know, as a marketer, you have to use the language that you're, that's going to resonate most mm-hmm. with your clients. So, you know, part of my role here is to learn what that language is and, and how people speak. But it's also back to that, you know, raising the bar and, and setting some expectations out that this is different and I do speak differently. Mm-hmm. And now we need to come together and, and look at how, uh, you know, what do we want to do together? What do we want to achieve together? And here's some new stuff that is going to be a bit weird and uncomfortable. Um, but it's to, to, in support of and in service to our learners, which is what we're all here for. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it is, it is fine tuning it so that it, it strikes a chord with the people that, that I hope it strikes a chord with. And, you know, we've got a wide diversity of, of approaches at the college. You know, we've got uh, around 600 
faculty are so spread out over this massive geography mm-hmm. and uh, and teaching all kinds of of unique skills and trades and and vocations and you know there's no there's not going to be one thing that appeals to all of those people there's not going to be a central kind of language so it's for me building relationships mm-hmm. So I might not be able to get that perfect marketing uh, style <laughs> pitch. <laughs> and maybe that's a good thing. You know, I think it's yeah. important for me to be authentic as well in this. Can I just say one more thing? As, is, it's about this like... This, <laughs> no, you're this, done. It's, we're you done. Talked about, <laughs> <laughs> you talked about mindset. I'm really yeah. excited now. You see, this is, this is how I feel when I'm listening to the podcast, by the way. And I'm on the trail <laughs> grinning from ear to ear on my walks. Um, this um, idea of beginner mindset in particular mm-hmm. and, and bringing a, a childlike curiosity to, to all of this stuff, because going back to the question about, you know, what's the biggest barrier right now? I think it's, it's people who are afraid to fail. It's people mm-hmm. who are afraid to look unprofessional, uh, mm-hmm. quote unquote, mm-hmm. uh, in front of their students. And it's such a vulnerable when you were feeling like you were getting it kind of sussed out mm-hmm. in the face-to-face environment and now you're just thrown all off kilter because you're faced with this whole new set of challenges. So thinking about a beginner's mindset, I came across this article that I had just read. Um, I just finished a professional mentor coaching course and uh, the author is Peter Vale. It's from a, a book, um, what's it called? Uh, it's a, anyway, the chapter is learning as a way of being. And uh, he talks about incompetency skills, like the need to, for us to, to learn incompetency skills. And I think that's another, you know, it's another way of looking at like, how can I be constantly open to learning and willing to fail and willing to come back to that starting place over and over again and be okay with being a novice? You know, everything is oriented in the trades in in particular too. You know, you go through this process of being a learner and an apprentice, and then, you know, you work your way up to something and and then you're an expert at it. Well, what if we were never experts? What if we could always kind of hold that childlike curiosity? And, and as he says, incompetency skills, I just love that, uh, that phrasing of it because it's okay. It makes it okay to be incompetent sometimes and to be in that stage of openness and learning. Yeah. And that's a really good point. And, and I'm, I'm going to include this in the show notes um, or a link to it anyway, that book, if we can find it. And cause it's so, it's so important. And the, the, the fear thing, the fear of being judged is huge. Right. And because we know we're, we know that we're not, um, we're not alone in the sense of being an expert in our field. Like in, in, I come, I come from a, an area where there's four different disciplines in our department and all of them are really good at what they do. And, and we're really good at what they did out in the industry. Uh, but there's a, there's, and I, and I, as I look across the institutes across our province and across our nation, um, people are really good at what they do. And then it, it, it's almost like there's this, there's this chasm or a wall, however you want to describe it when it comes to the, our own metacognition and how do we learn? And then how do we transfer that onto our students? And I've seen this even in school of business where, where I teach some courses where the mindset's still there, but it's, it's just in different clothing. And I'm like, Oh my goodness, we're all the same. There's, there's no difference here. I just may be a little more dirty under the fingernails than somebody else, but it's really about the, I've, I've found this real interesting connection that it's, I expect learners to learn the way I learn, or this is how I was taught it. So I, therefore, I think this is the best way to teach it. And, and I go back to this one statement I heard from a, from a, a faculty member um, who said, if the students aren't writing down everything that I'm writing on the board, they're not learning. And I just went, what? Like, yeah, I just went, what? Are you kidding me? And then there was somebody else in the space 
who this person had learned that technique from and they connected and, and this person said, right, like this is the way you taught me how to do it so that this, this works, right? And I'm like, oh no, it's, a, it's an epidemic. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's so reminiscent too, right? About how we specifically in the trades, and this isn't a podcast necessarily about trades, but I mean, we're going to take it that way because, you know, we're trades people. Um, but it's kind of, it's kind of like that when, when we have different mentors, different, um, journey people that we're learning from, we're now expected to put together our own style of an approach to something. And that's now become ours. And so we look at apprentices and go, okay, I'm going to teach you to do it my way. And you come into higher education and it's like, well, I'm going to teach you my way. I'm going to teach you my way to do it. And then it's almost like you get offended if a student finds a different way to get to the same answer and you're like, Whoa, Hey, that's not my way. You can, no, I don't, I don't like that. But it's all about the mindset you're, you, that you're talking about. Right. Um, mm. How, how is this stuff that you're, you're, you're getting your faculty to, to wrestle with and, and uh, align values and, and all these, all these great discussions, how is it affecting their pedagogy? So, I'm still in the early stages of getting to know people and, and I feel like it's such a privilege every time I get to have a conversation mm. with a faculty member about results, how they're trying these things, how they're working with the students or, or yeah. not, yeah. you know, anytime that somebody reaches out to me, I, it, it truly is a, a meaningful thing for me because it, that in itself, that people feel comfortable reaching out to me, mm-hmm. that's the job. That's right. what I'm here for. Right. Um, so um, I'm not exactly sure because I'm not in classrooms right mm. now. I'm not able to uh, sit in. So I haven't actually seen it for myself. Um, but I'm hearing from people who are trying things. And we've got a, a session every second Tuesday morning called Ed Techie Brekkie, where I meet with faculty <laughs> and we, write that talk down. About, we talk about Ed Techie over coffee and uh, and, and now people are, the faculty are starting to come forward and say, hey, I don't mind sharing something that I tried or something that I learned in this session a few weeks ago. Oh, that's um, beautiful. Let me show you how I'm using this, you know, with my statistics class or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so it, that's what I want is, is not for me to be constantly, you know, providing uh, information and resources, but to learn from each other how, you know, what are you trying? What's working? What's not working? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, having those really rich conversations. Yeah. I those love are, that. That, yeah. that, that what's not working piece that I'm finding myself moving closer and closer to use the language, leaning in to that kind of mindset of, okay, so what, what didn't work and why didn't it work and begin breaking that down as opposed to, okay, well, so what was successful? Cause we're really good at that. Right. <laughs> but that, that reflective piece of, okay, so why didn't this work? What, what, what are some of the, the variables that happen in that? And you mentioned that earlier with the idea of variables. I wanted if to I ask you that. Just, oh, oh, hop in, Sally. Hop oh, in. Can I? Can I just because I love this piece about what you just said? Um, you know, around writing on the board. If the if mm. the students not writing down what I'm writing on the board, and and then this has been passed down through many generations of yeah. instructors. And I think one of the things that that you know, keeps the momentum going there is the fear that if, I mean, I, I fortunately have never learned that way. So Mm -hmm. I have never taught that way. Um, but I think it's the fear that if I stop writing everything on the board and they stop writing it down, if they fail, then if they fail this government exam, then that's going to come back to me as an instructor. And I think one of the, you know, the privileges in, on the academic side of the house, you know, is that you develop your own curriculum. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you develop your own curriculum, you develop your own assessments, and then you, you know, you evaluate the, the, the um, worth of those in your, that fit within the structure of that curriculum that you've developed. Whereas we know in the trades program that we're given program outlines and then the luxury of developing curriculum from that program outline doesn't it's not in the culture of trades. Mm-hmm. We're bringing it forward to really thinking about developing the student journey, the curriculum, um, and meeting the needs of the program outline. 
So Tim, I think you bring forward this really valid point that these behaviors, they're also, when we look at all of the other variables outside of the classroom, that keep them going. And I think that government exam, that's external level of governance, um, doesn't encourage a culture of let's try this because mm -hmm. you're, you're concerned about the vulnerability of your students. What if they're only here for a seven week apprenticeship? I introduce these different approaches and what do I do if, you know, if I, you feel like you'll have let them down. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that maybe, maybe Jen's got some ideas around there. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I think it, that exactly ties back into the responsibility piece, Sally. And, you know, how much responsibility am I taking? I've got this, you know, 100% responsibility that's mine, but I'm not going to take more or less than that responsibility. The students each have their own 100% responsibility. And we need to help teach them the skills to take that responsibility because they don't always come to us with those skills. But, you know, uh, Tim, you talk a lot about, and I'm, I'm really catching myself lately saying the word instructor mm -hmm. uh, and thinking about that, you know, the language that we use and, and being intentional about our language. And now I'm still saying instructor because all the people at my college still say instructor. So it's kind of the verbiage that we use, but I'm really conscious of it now. And I'm starting to find myself shifting it a bit more and a bit more. And then thinking about the word teaching, and this might be one of those woo-woo coaching things, but making learning available. What if we talked about making learning available rather than teaching? Because teaching, and I hear this in the conversations that I have with faculty every day, there's more responsibility tied up in that, more than your 100%. When, when we conceive of teaching as telling and putting information into people, and we still have that, you know, that's a legacy that's very difficult for us to overcome. So shifting that, that language to what if I'm making learning available? And another thing from coaching is not being attached to the outcome. The students have their 100% responsibility. I have my 100% responsibility. I'm attached to my own outcomes, but I can't take their outcomes as my own. I can only do the work behind figuring out how is this making learning available landing. And if it isn't, I've got to take my 100% responsibility for that and I've got to make changes. And there's a lot of things we can do and not necessarily onerous things uh, to shift that relationship and that dynamic. Okay. Well, you're, you're going to stay for another hour because this is going to be, um, <laughs> yeah, this is gonna be actually good. the whole day. I yeah, we're just the gonna, whole day. I'm just going in my <laughs> calendar right now. Canceling everything. Sword. I'm done. Yeah. And you're going to have to go get some food. <laughs> you're going to have yeah. to carbo, carbo load because we're, we're getting into it now. Oh my goodness. Oh, this is so good. Okay. Here we go. Mm -hmm. Making learning available. I love that. Love that. I'm writing it down. I'm stealing that. And this is going to be on record. I'm stealing that. So that's good. So, you you know, I'm glad that I'm, I'm having some effect with language, but I'm going to steal that making learning available. Um, and I love the idea of detaching from outcomes of students because so often, right. And I know I suffered from this when I first started was that, man, my, I'm going to be judged by how many students pass and how many students fail. Um, and you know, when I first started, there were, there were no level exams from level one, two, and three. Like if they just finished it, they had a class final and they moved on. So the feedback was always from the next level faculty member where they would say, Hey, did you have Tim Carson in your class? And they're like, yeah, well, how was he? And I'm like, well, you know, he was, he was okay. And why, how's he doing now? And you get this feedback and you're like, Oh my goodness, what did I mess up on? Like, why, why are they not getting this? Forgetting that it's been 18 months since, since Tim Carson has been from level two to level three. And I'm like, okay, Tim Carson probably couldn't remember what he did 18 minutes ago, let alone 18 months ago. Right. And so you, you, we take on this burden of, I need to, I need to give all this stuff to them because they need to remember it for the next year. And I, and I, I know I've said that so many times. And then 
I don't know what it was, but maybe it was hanging around with people like Sally and Chad and, and all that other stuff. But it was, it, 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 well, it happened a while ago, but this mind shift of, I don't need to own that anymore. Right. And the idea that, yes, this is, this is TVET trades, vocational education, but it's all, it's adult education and started looking at my, my, my apprentices, because that's what I called them as learners that they're, they're paying money and time and cognitive effort to be there. They're investing all of that to be there. And so now I bring to the banquet table all this stuff and I tell them what it is and how to use it and where it fits and, and all this other stuff. But now they have to use it, right? Mm. And so that really took a lot of burden off of me, especially when I taught fourth year because fourth year, there's two exams. They're massive exams. I mean, they're, they're, it's what everyone is driving towards in their apprenticeship. And I had massive anxiety at the beginning going, I'm going to be judged. People are going to look at me as a faculty member and go, you know, Tim's good, not so good based on pass or fail rates. And yeah. So what you're seeing here is, is, is powerful. Yeah. Powerful. It, it's the, the, what, and what you're describing, Tim, is the system. Yeah. So when we operate within traditional systems, like I'm the teacher who has all the knowledge and you're the student who doesn't ha know anything, Mm -hmm. you know, the blank slate, then that's what they expect. And that's where we get the students complaining. You're not doing your job. You're not doing enough for sure. me. Uh, I don't like this class. You didn't do it right. Because we've created that system and we're playing right into it. So yeah. if we want things to change, we have to look at the system. We have to change something within the system. And it might not completely change or disrupt the system right away, but mm -hmm. Um, and there's a, there's a book behind me that I'm going to look at, uh, called seeing systems by Barry Oshry that Got talks that. about this as yep. soon as you, yeah. Cause you're a Royal Roads grad, right? Uh, <laughs> well, I'm also a systems thinker. So. <laughs> as soon as you start to, you know, you change something, the system starts to shake. It sure does. Yeah. Uh, and yep. so thinking about that, what, what's my role in, in just shaking up the system a little bit. Yeah. And Sally, I'm going to jump in here because this is a good connection between Lev, right? Where Lev would say, everyone comes with experiences. Everyone comes with prior learning. And sometimes that gets washed off the table with faculty when they, when students walk into a classroom, I've seen it in school of business. I've seen it in, on trades and faculty side where it's that they, some faculty look at our students and go, they're empty buckets and I'm here to pour into it. And it's like, Hmm. I think Vygotsky would say something different about that, that they actually <laughs> come with a ton would. of stuff. Tell us more about that, Sally. I'll, I'll well, uh, no, I won't <laughs> because oddly enough, I have one minute and I have to disappear into the digital tool shed. <laughs> um, but I think exactly what you're talking about is this piece that I keep calling this space. And I guess what it is, Jen, just, you know, listening to, um, what you've shared with us this morning is really creating a space almost between the instructor and the learner. So it, there's this place, they need to come towards it. You need to have invested your time and energy as an educator to set the scene. And I think it was you, Jen, that I read something you had written about this buffet or smorgasbord. And, and I think for me, learning to write those really in-depth questions that the learner, you know, there's always this concern, well, learners are not going to do the work. If you provide the problems, that's their role, like creating these problems that, because that's what learning is, being able to solve problems. And, and so, yeah, I'm, loving this. I can't believe I have to leave and we're just going to carry on this wonderful conversation. And am I allowed to say this, Tim? We need to invite Jen back. We, we of have course to, you're allowed to say it. Are we, we going to edit it out now? No, you're not allowed to say that. No. Um, we have more questions than what we did before you came to the show. Well, that's so what a coach know. does, right? She, yes. Good coaches drum up more questions for you. We need to, for a few weeks, Jen. Yeah. We're just going to keep booking you. It's been an <laughs> absolute pleasure. I cannot wait to listen to this podcast time and time again. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you, Jen, for joining us today. And Thank you. See you yeah. later. I can't wait to come shed. back. Yes, enjoy the tool shed. Tell them we said hi. Yeah, I will exactly. do. Bye. Take care. One more question. And then I have a fab five. 
Okay. Just rapid fire kind of stuff. Fun stuff. Uh-oh, I'm not so, very good at that. Oh, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. <laughs> uh, so the last question is, um, Jen, what have you changed your mind on recently with all this stuff that's going on and your new role? Um, and it's still kind of new because, I mean, COVID has made everything new. Um, what have you changed your mind on recently? I don't know if it's changed my mind exactly or changed my approach, but when I was hired for this role, one of the big things about this job was creating a teaching and learning framework for the college. Mm -hmm. And I think all of this happened very serendipitously. Uh, It's quite fortuitous that we got sent home and we're online. And because what's happening now is the, we kind of were scrambling as everyone was during COVID to support people and meet their needs in the immediate short term. And so the, the framework, this big project of mine got put on the back burner. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I now have this very special opportunity Mm -hmm. to have had time to spend learning about what the faculty are experiencing, what their biggest concerns are. And so that's all informing this process of creating a framework that's not just evidence-based or, you know, based on what I know, but it's really going to be an organic um, living document that comes out of the experiences of faculty at the college. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really excited about that. And it's, it's just something that it looks very different now than what I had conceived of when I uh, you know, was in that interview back in January of this year. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it took us all by surprise. That's for sure. Some have adapted better than others, but I think that's because some were already doing a, a bit of a, a hybrid approach to their education and mm. uh, to their making learning uh, available. I like that. <laughs> we're going to start using that more often. Um, all right. So thank you so much for taking the time. We're at the end, but I've got five little rapid fire questions to kind of kind of wrap it all up and um they're they're really quick answer questions i think i'll do my best oh i'm you'll you'll rock it all right you ready okay okay favorite movie et et nice (laughs) okay favorite food korean food uh bulgogi oh that's good i like that favorite band Oh, that you're killing me with that one, killing me. Um, I'm gonna say Dave Matthews Band. Okay, cool. Favorite tech right now. Your favorite tech. Favorite tech. I've been using Jamboard a lot. Yeah. I love it. Super quick. Super easy. Yeah. Nice. Nice. All right. And your favorite teacher. Oh, Mrs. McHugh, who recently passed away, and she was my um, high school English literature teacher, amazing woman, taught me public speaking, and she also taught my mom public speaking, by the way, Uh, super supportive, and just, yeah, very, very warm person that, you know, I'll never forget her. Oh, beautiful. That's awesome. Thanks so much for taking the time, Jen. We will have you back and uh, um, it'll be it'll be awesome to pick up on some of these uh, threads that uh, we've been uh, unraveling here today. So thanks again for taking the time. Really appreciate it. I can't wait to come back. Thanks so much. Thanks.